Hey Hawks fans, Luke Bruce here. CJ here. Jarman here. If you love the Hawks, then you need to be connected to the Hawks Insiders. It's got all the latest news, match recaps, interviews and specialised content written by the Hawks fans for the Hawks fans. Make sure you subscribe. Get your daily dose of Hawthorne content into your inbox. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Here from Jarman MP for the Insiders. Hi everyone, Ashley Brown here. Welcome to Hawks Insiders Trade Wrap Day 2 is done and dusted. There has been a bit of movement. We will get to it shortly as we look at the day through the lens that matters most, that of the brown and the gold. Good to be here talking to you. It's been a grim few days for some of us, so it's great to get a load off and concentrate on something else that really matters, which, of course, is the footy. So I'm looking forward to chatting to you for the next little while. Um, hello to Andrew Weiss. G'day, Ash. Missed you last night, but we had a pretty decent crack at chatting through day one of the trade period and, and looking forward to getting stuck into news from the last 24 hours. Yes, you guys did a sterling job in my absence, as you always do, um, and... One of those who also puts in big time for us is Danny Prince. Hello, Danny. Ash, uh, great to be here. Good to not have the pressure pressure of having to get our guest names right tonight. I'm looking forward to just being able to sit in the background and contribute every now and then. Uh, no background from you. You'll be up front and centre, coming the packs like uh, Surioli in the 2008 Grand Final. We have another guest tonight, Um Provided he can make the technology work, I'm pretty sure he can. It'll be Rowan Connolly uh, from Footyology, long-time uh, football scribe. Um, Essendon support is actually going to, firstly, before we broaden the conversation, he's going to give us a bit of perspective on Massimo D'Ambrosio, who all been well will be joining the Hawks sometime over the next eight days. So it'll be good to get an Essendon perspective on him. And then we'll dive into a few other issues as well. We will get to that very shortly. Um as always, if you want something to, if you want to contribute to the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, make a request to speak and uh, all being well, we'll get you on. If you'd rather just have a comment for us to look at, um, just uh, reply in the, uh, in the, the uh, text, in the, uh, the tweet for, or the X, whatever it's called these days, for this space and uh, we'll address it before we conclude. So... There was some movement today. It was, uh, and that does affect Hawthorne in a fairly significant way. Not at all surprising, but North Melbourne have uh, received pick three as compensation for um, Ben Mackay joining Essendon as a free agent. That bumps Hawthorne's first pick down from three to four, all being well. That will end up being pick five once Gold Coast and Jed Walter uh, get stuck into play, but it sort of has ramifications for the Hawks. So we can now address that, that um, we're going to be picking one, uh, one at least one selection later. Danny, what is the Hawthorne take on all of this? I think it's uh, it was all expected and it was all, um, I guess, probably planned out. I know uh, Mark McKenzie, the actual Mark McKenzie was... Um, in an interview with Cal Toomey, uh, spoke about, you know, it'd be nice uh, if, if it didn't happen uh, in terms of the Roos getting picked three. But uh, the reality is they would be they were planning for this um, from a while out. And that's why the Hawks made a really big play 
for Ben Mackay because um, getting him and, and dropping down a spot is better than not getting him and dropping down a spot. So um, they'll they'll have their contingencies uh, laid out for picking at pick five, um, pick four in the live draft uh, with actual players that they can take. And, um, you know, there, there are some really intri- interesting and intriguing players around that space. We also know, Ash, that... Um, that the Hawks are really, really keen to look to move up. That probably won't happen in the trade period per se. It'll probably be more likely if any deal happens, it'll be in the sort of pick swap um, section of the trade uh, period. So, um, yeah, I think it's just something to keep an eye on. To be honest, I don't think they'll be able to move up to get pick one. I don't think they have enough uh, to satisfy the needs of West Coast or the desires of West Coast. Um, But... There's some really good players that are going to sit in and around pick four or five, um, you know, whether one of Curtin or McKercher or Dersma or Watson uh, is there. I think there's a really good player there to be added to the Hawthorns list and a really high-end elite talent, which you can never have too much of, just ask North Melbourne. Mario, I've got a couple of uh, comments such questions out of the day's activities. Number one is um, with the Lockie Schultz news, um, that he wants to go to Collingwood to be traded. Therefore, Fremantle would conceivably like to enter the Tyler Brockman uh, sweepstakes. Does that make, does that play to Hawthorne's advantage? If Frio can be in there and perhaps get in front of Brockman and convince him that he should play, go there instead, so they'd like to try and get him across. Does that help Hawthorne's bid in terms of maybe the negotiations with the West Coast? Is that a degree of urgency about, does it help Hawthorne in his bid for pick one? Because West Coast might now, they actually need to make a deal for Brockman. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thought. I think Johnny Ralph might have had something in uh, Super Footy or the Herald Sun um, earlier this evening, where Frio had touched base with uh, with Brockman to try to um, have a conversation, but he had his heart set on playing under Adam Simpson for some strange reason. So, um, I, look, I don't think it'll have too much of an impact, but it, it can't hurt. I think that's the thing for Brockman to know that there are two places that are really keen for him. To, uh, to for him to come to them. And, you know, if if West Coast aren't playing ball and they decide, you know, we'll just walk into the to the preseason draft, maybe the Hawks get in Frio, uh, into Brockman's ear and say, hey, listen, we can get you over to Fremantle. You've got a starting spot there potentially. And, you know, there's a, a much better young list which will contend quicker uh, than West Coast will. Because if he goes to West Coast, like he's going to be, like they're they're the worst team in the competition by you know the length of the Flemington straight. So, um, you know he's going to be really up against it as a small forward in that team for a number of years. So, look, if I was if I was um, Tyler Brockman, I'd much rather go to Fremantle than West Coast, uh, considering the position of their list. So, who knows what have what sort of impact it has? I don't think it has too much, but you never know because um, trade period goes for a long time and people's. Um, opinions and thoughts and feelings change uh, overnight sometimes. So it's a watch this space for me. Other observation out of the day's machinations was that um, now, now that it's a done deal and there's the speculation about who, uh, what North might do, they've got pick two and pick three, plus 15 and 21, but certainly with pick two and three, all the rafted names get thrown out, a bit disturbingly, uh, there's a bit of suggestion that they really came on Zane Dursman, who I think a lot of Hawthorne supporters have got their head around might be the player that the Hawks have got their their sights on. But uh, Daniel Curtin's name has started to slip down a little bit, and there's been suggestion that he might be a slider. Have you, either of you gentlemen got any views on that? 
Uh, it would surprise me. I think Weesey and I messaged uh, a little bit in our WhatsApp group earlier this afternoon about that one. I, if if Daniel Curtin's available when the Hawks pick and the Hawks overlook him to to get somebody else, to be honest, uh, I, I I can't see why they would do that. The 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 one glaring um, omission from our list or the glaring weakness on our list is key position talent and. Um, and Curtin can not only play centre half back or even centre half full, but he can play midfield as well. So I, I would be I would be shocked if he's available and the Hawks don't seriously consider him over um, just about anybody other than sort of Harley Reid. And um, yeah, that's a strange one, uh, Ash. I, I did hear that, and Cal Toomey actually mentioned that. But maybe Weesey's got a different perspective that I haven't considered. Well, my different perspective is totally left field, Prinzy. I know we're desperate to get as much top-end talent as possible, but if he's available pick four and live trading, so this is a pure hypothetical, West Coast turned around and said, we'll give you our first pick from next year for pick four. Is that something, I mean, obviously you want to get the the player in and you want to have, um, you want to have, uh, the 12 months of development with the group and for the player themselves, but you could be staring at pick one for next year. Yeah, I, I, I think you would only consider that if they gave you something in the first round as well this year too. So, you know, um, future picks are great, but they don't hold as much value as current picks in terms of, um, you know, especially for a team like Hawthorne, it'd be a massive risk to take only accepting, you know, a one-for-one one pick. You'd want to get like a, you know, um, sort of like mid, a second mid, rounder mid, as well, well or something which for even, them yeah I was going to say even a mid to late first rounder like a 15 to yeah 18 sort of sort of pick to be able to sort of sleep well at night doing that deal but um, you know it would definitely be something if we're sitting there on the clock and Daniel Curtin's available you'd be picking up the phone and going how bad do you want in West Coast and see what they say they, they might squirm enough to make a few trades get up another pick in the teens and then and then uh and then and then make the that deal. So yeah, it's it's uh, all of these small machinations, these could could be would be deals that um, might happen depending on how things break. Are, are really what make this time of the year really interesting from my perspective. I love all that sort of hypothetical stuff. It's uh, it really makes me excited, not in a bad way, just in a good way. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with that. Um, There's the a long way to go. A lot of things to play out. The trade that was consummated today was um, well, a couple of uh, other players changed hands today. We like to do an exercise here. We had just a fun with it. Jesse could better when Brad's around, but he's not, so we'll solder on anyway. It's called FOMO, on FOMO level 1 to 10. So James Harms has gone to the uh, he's gone to the Western Bulldogs, which creates an interesting situation where uh, two combatants from the 2021 grand final being Lockie Hunter and James Harms now play for the other team. So that's only ever happened once before when Wayne Schwoss and Shannon Grant played against each other for North and Sydney, respectively, in 96. And then two years later, they were playing for the other teams, um, which is a sort of quirk that's a sort of thing that I like to, 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 that I find interesting. Thanks to the Swamp thing for uh, clarifying that for me. But on a FOMO level 1 to 10, um, we see James Harms. Zero. Uh, no issues based on age, injury, position. Uh, not concerned at all about missing out on him. Daddy? 
Are we allowed to give a negative grade, or does it have to be? You do whatever you like. This is, this ne- is, uh, negative this is three. I, I literally have no interest. <laughs> I have no interest in James Harms as a person, as a player. I he's got one of those really sort of punchable faces that you that you don't. You just I don't know. I, just nothing. Nothing oh, appealing. Wow. Nothing appealing oh, about James Harms <laughs> whatsoever. Um, more than happy for the Hawks to steer clear of that. All right. Uh, what about Todd Goldstein? Uh, uh, so zero from me yeah. as well. Maybe maybe <laughs> four or five years ago. Uh, and he's been a super, super player. Um, interestingly, used Geelong a couple of years ago to beef up the contract and um, got North Melbourne paying huge coin for him as a result from his, his last contract. But... Um, yeah, absolute zero. Yeah, uh, agree wholeheartedly with Lisi. Look, I actually really rate Todd Goldstein as a player, but he is definitely closer to the end than the start. Um, we, we, we we absolutely know that trying to play two pure Ruckman in this Hawthorne team doesn't work. So, yeah, no FOMO there whatsoever. Give it a, give it a zero as well. All right, then. Uh, well, a couple of players we'll talk about um, as well that are in. Uh, Rowan will be joining us hopefully any minute, but uh, until then. Um, now, the play, I mean, ben, we haven't really discussed Ben Mackay, FOMO, because a lot of this was bumping along those two or three weeks when we, uh, when we were taking a bit of a break during the finals. So now that uh, we didn't get him, what um, but we talked about it in the WhatsApp. It'd be worth uh, having uh, explained to the listeners what we thought. Ben Mackay, Danny, FOMO level one to ten. Um, that's a better question, Ash. Um, I would say my FOMO more, I I don't necessarily rate Ben Mackay very highly, but he's better than the key defenders that we have on our list right now, including James Blake. Um, so I'm going to go with, uh, just over half. So let's say a six, um, I'm going to go with a yeah, 6 out of 10 FOMO. Um, I think he would have been a handy addition, uh, but that is basically more of a slight on our key defensive stocks than it is uh, praise on Ben McKay. How's that for an answer? Uh, very good. Uh, I, uh, I, could, I, could, I could have uh, t- accepted him. Played fourth. What about you, Lucy? Yeah, my FOMO rating for him would be probably an 8 out of 10 in terms of the fact that he was a free agent, that uh, that he wouldn't have cost anything based on the position. But as an actual player, it's probably around the 5 to 6 mark. So, um, yeah, clearly I was absolutely on board in terms of getting him because he was free. Um, but I think, uh, I think that in terms of his actual qualities as a footballer, it's a, it's a little bit lower than that. All right, then a couple of players that are floating around, um, who, um, are out there now. One would be, um, Lockie O'Brien from Carlton, Danny. Who's out there? He says he's he's skillful and he's a left footer, which would think would tick a few boxes at Hawthorne. Well, I'd probably tick a few boxes at North Melbourne under Alistair Clarkson. To be fair, uh, no, no interest. Thanks very much. Next. 
All right. And uh, what are you, Weezy? Yeah. Echoed the sentiments perfectly said by Prinzi Zero. All right, Dan. Uh, Rowan is uh, on the line. So, Rowan, if you just uh, make a request to speak in the settings there for the space, we'll, and uh, we'll get you on as soon as you are ready. So, um, yeah, so if you could uh, click on it and request to speak, we'll get you on straight away. What about Jack Inovan, boys? Um, who might be scrolling. No, Rowan's with us. Uh, so we're going to go straight to Rowan. Hello, Rowan. Uh, can you hear me okay? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Tommy White, doesn't it? Um, I haven't done a space thing before. Um, so, yeah, welcome, everyone. Yeah, good to be here. You, you're the king of Twitter. The only, this would be the only thing you've never done on Twitter, Rowan, is take part in the space. Or X, as it's No, I refuse to call it X. It's uh, always going to be Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and it's a very uh, interesting platform these days. And I'm, I'm treating it with a lot more caution, which uh, some would say probably not before uh, time. Oh, good. Uh, good, uh, good explanation. Great to have you on board. We've been mates for a very long time. We worked together at The Age. We've been colleagues and talked footy and, and other things for a very long time. It's really great to have you on board with us this evening, Rowan. What a start. Um, you can put the uh, you can approach this as a as a football expert, or you can put your your Essendon beanie on. <laughs> uh, Massimo D'Ambrosio uh, wants to come to Hawthorne. Tell us what sort of player he is. How would he fit into a team like Hawthorne? And uh, would Essendon be sad to lose him? It's a really interesting one, this because um, I've got to say, with I'll put my supporters hat on for a, a moment. I'm I'm pretty disappointed because. I really liked him. Um, you know, they picked him up in the, the mid-season draft uh, last year. He debuted almost instantaneously, played eight games last year, played another eight this year. Um, the thing I think the most people would agree is sort of a standout characteristic is his boyish. He's just a he's a lovely, natural, fluent kick of the footy. Um and I'm constantly, as an Essendon person, I'm constantly banging on about uh, the lack of good kicks in that side and, and lack of skilled players generally in that side. So I thought he was a, a breath of fresh air in that regard. He's, he's not. Um, I, I saw someone describe him today as pacey. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say he was pacey. I wouldn't say he was slow either. But I, I, he's not a speedster. But he's just a. He's a good reader of the play. I think he's a. You know, in an age where natural footballers are, I think, you know, there, there are fewer of them than there used to be. Um, I think he has a sort of innate uh, football nous, if you like, and he's he's a very good kick. So Essendon basically used him off a halfback flank. Um, but he's the sort of player, I must say, he strikes me as a pretty obvious choice as a wingman, really, or at a pinch, maybe even a forward flanker. Um, what happened with Essendon? Well, yeah, it was. Uh, I was thinking about it, and then I sort of went back through the numbers, and I, I remembered some of the games. There was a real flashpoint earlier this year, and it was the the round three game against St Kilda, and that was his second game of the year. And it's really interesting because far and away his highest disposal tally, twenty seven disposals, he had against the Saints that night, and that was a game Essendon only lost by three goals, and it was a pretty tough sort of contest, a Saturday night at the MCG. So he had 27 disposals off the halfback flank, but, and it's a fairly considerable but, um, Dan Butler and um, uh, Jack Higgins kicked four goals each for the Saints. And 
obviously he was one of the players sort of trying to defend the small forwards. Well, St Kilda's two smalls kicked eight between them. I don't think that went down very well with the coach because he didn't play again, despite 27 disposals. He didn't play again for another month. And then when he came back, he only played another six games, a few of them from memory as sub. Didn't really rack up any considerable uh, disposal tallies in any of his other games. In fact, I think he only broke single figures once. Um, and then basically it came down to that contract and Essendon were only prepared to offer him the one year. And my understanding is, I think, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Hawthorne are offering two. So a bit of a no-brainer for him. And, uh, you know, I can't blame him. You know, if a club's sort of equivocating on how much they want him and another club with the promise Hawthorne has has got two on the table, well, then I think you jump at the opportunity. So that that's how I see it. People might dispute it, but uh, I think he's a bit of a loss. And I'm, I'm, I must say I'm pretty disappointed Lesson and we're so sort of willing to let him go. Rowan, I appreciate you jumping on and thanks for the insight into to Mass. Um, I think from a Hawthorne supporter perspective, uh, most of our listeners will go, well, halfback, running halfback flanks is the one sort of position on our list that we're pretty well stocked for. Um, yeah. In terms of his abilities, you, you touched on his ability to play wing and potentially half forward flank. Did, it, would a forward a switch to the forward line be a legitimate option for for D Ambrosio? And, and do you think he can play that role with a bit more? Because we that's an area that we really are short of those small forwards. Yeah, look, I think so. I mean, it's really hard to say, isn't it? I, I haven't look. You know, I'm not going to pretend I've seen a lot of his football prior to uh, going on the Essendon list. Other people probably. I mean, that's one of the one of the ironies of being a sort of football pundit these days is. And Ashley will relate to this. You know, there's so many games spread throughout so many game slots. You actually don't have enough time to watch things like the VFL and those other state leagues and stuff. So, and, and it's a constant bugbear of mine. But look, I think any any player who has footy nous, um, because that's pretty important for a small forward. I think you know, back in the old days, people would talk about the half forward flank being a starvation corner you know you have to be able to you have to be able to read the footy and he can definitely do that um and then a good user of the ball so you know perhaps um you know what's what's that uh, popular phrase now a high half forward you know someone who works up the ground can get into the midfield but also um a particularly good user of the footy with that all important kick going inside 50 so i don't see any reason why he couldn't do that as far as a wing goes um I think what, you know, what sort of clearly Essendon think after that sort of pivotal St Kilda game is that he doesn't really have a defensive bone in his body. Um, that appeared to be the message. Um, so, okay, so you use him on a wing purely as an offensive wingman. I think I was thinking about, well, why didn't Essendon use him more on a wing? Well, I had Sam Durham and, and Nick Martin, and Nick Martin's probably a more offensive type uh, wingman and Sam Durham sort of gets back and helps out across half back. So they probably thought we've got a balance on the wings. So he's superfluous to needs there. Um, I haven't really sat down and thought about exactly how Hawthorne are going on the wings, but that's one I could see him as being an offensive wingman in a, a well balanced centre line. So there's another possibility for him. I think I'll just jump in there again. It was really interesting you, you mentioned that, Rowan. I think 
um, chatting to, we chatted to Josh Ward at the Peter Crimmins, or just before the Peter Crimmins medal, uh, who Ward was one of our wingmen along with Carl Amon throughout the majority of the year this year. Um, but with his position, uh, positional change on the cards over pre-season next year, looking to be more of an inside midfielder. Um, maybe that space opens up on the wing and maybe that's where they're, they're looking to place uh, mass, a bit more competition on the wings because there's Harry Morrison and a couple of others there, but they're a little uninspiring. So uh, potentially using his good kicking going forward is uh, is what the Hawks are looking to do there. Yeah, and well, the other, the other element to that too is that the wing is really uh, back in favour as a, you know, a, a pivotal part of a, uh, a successful structure, isn't it? I mean, you know, have a look at Josh Dacos at Collingwood. He's just one of best and fairest in a premiership side, essentially, as a wingman. Um, so, you know, we went through that period where, you know, uh, the specialist wingman sort of threatened to go the way of the dinosaur and they were really just, you know, another stock standard mid who was taking his turn out of the centre square rotation. And I think now, and Nick Martin at Essendon, um, who I really rate, you know, is a, a good example of this. I think we're seeing specialist wingmen back in the caper now. And, and you know, it's, yeah, it's a very hard thing to differentiate sometimes, you know, even if you're watching it closely. But I think what makes a specialist wingman is probably, you know, the, the, the endurance they've got. Um, the the running patterns, you know, how the balance to which they work back into defence or push forward and become a, a seventh forward or whatever. So, um, you know, I think there's more time and thought being given into the role of wingman in a side now. So that's probably part of it as well. But, um, you know, Hawthorne just thinking, uh, you know, what are we, where are the positions in that structure we really need to sort of, lift our our um, perhaps natural ability as well. Um, and I hear what you're saying about Morrison. Um, you know, perhaps that's sort of part of the planning as well. And that's, look, you know, someone on the Hawthorne Brains Trust is listening, they're probably going, what crap are you talking here? But that's sort of, it, it figures to me like that could be an explanation for it. Somebody's asked Rowan, uh, one of Scamasaurus, one of our regulars, is there a touch of Brent Guerra about uh, Massimo? Uh, gee, that's an interesting one. Um, I'm trying to think what what defines Brent Guerra apart from the need for advanced hair. Um, uh, uh, a beautiful kick out of the back line. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, look, I think so. I, I just think anyone now who is a really good, consistent user of the footy by foot is a potentially really valuable asset because, you know, we see... We see so much butchering of the footy now, and you know there are various explanations for that. And there's a lot of heat put on guys, even with their field kicking now, let alone kicking for goal, which has gone right off. But yeah, I mean, if you can eight, nine times out of ten be hitting targets over a, a decent distance, and it actually it's more it's more than just the natural ability by foot too. It's the ability to be able to spot the options early. And that's another thing about D'Ambrosio I liked from, from day one. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, he's a good kick, but it's, gee, here's a guy who's willing to to sort of try to spot up the difficult option, not necessarily just play the percentage and chip it sideways. So, yeah, I, that that would make sense, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rowan, I think uh, just to answer your question, one of the defining um 
the defining factors for Brent Guerra is actually his ability to know and sing all the words to Daryl Braithwaite's horses, but that's another another topic of conversation. Got a question for you. Just you quietly. Seen... I, I don't know if that's necessarily an asset. A good thing. <laughs> yeah. um, now, obviously, we're in a Hawthorne space and you'd be well aware what other supporters think, but just want to get your thoughts on as an Essendon supporter um, on uh, Adrian Dodoro, uh, obviously leaving. He had a bit of a parting shot at Kaltumi today, which was uh, a bit of fun. Not sure if you caught that. but I did from, say that. From an Essendon supporter's point of view, how are you feeling about that tenure coming to an end? Uh, I'm perfectly okay with it. Is that? Uh, <laughs> I mean, look, I'm I'm not here. I'm not here to dance on his grave, and who knows if he's got a grave. Look, I'll, I'll be totally honest here. I don't mind Adrian. I, I think Adrian's. You know, he's had plenty of successes. He's had plenty of um, ones that haven't worked out, as most of them do. What annoys me about the situation with Adrian Dodoro, and it's not even. And I sort of tweeted this effectively yesterday. It's not even necessarily his making. It's just the extent of the media fascination with him. And this is what really annoys me about this this whole list management recruiting caper is that the media inevitably enjoys talking the most about the guys who, A, will talk to them the most, B, give them the most information, C, are the, you know, will, will offer the colourful anecdotes or the stories about their you know, the cloak and dagger stuff that goes on with deals and whatever. And they sort of, they being the media, uh, and yeah, I know I'm part of the media, that doesn't stop me bagging the media, trust me. Um, you know, they, they become part of the game. So it's sort of like Adrian Dodoro, and even that story that was in The Age yesterday by Mark McGowan, which I must admit I read that and I just sort of roll my eyes and go, oh, here we go again. It's not even necessarily that they're pumping him up and saying, oh, isn't he a guru or whatever. It's more just this sort of continued mythologising of this guy who's like a... It's sort of like in the 60s and the 70s, for those of my dinosauric age, you know, we used to talk about people like Graham Richmond and they were the, you know, the Richmond administrator. They were the, the deal makers and, you know, the guys that, raced up to the country with, you know, 10,000 bucks in a brown paper bag. And Adrian's sort of like the latter-day equivalent of that, minus hopefully the cash in the bag. But, you know, it's all that subterfuge and skullduggery and the art of the deal and all this stuff. And the media love that. So that ends up being the subject for so much of what they write, rather than the guys who are actually doing the deals that end up being far more successful but they're not so interested in playing the role and being that character. They just get the job done. Who am I talking about there? Well, the guys that always come to mind for me are Stephen Wells, who's done it at Geelong for, God knows, 30 years. You know, Kinnear Beetson, Jason Cripps at Port Adelaide. And actually, I had an interesting exchange with Daniel Healy, who people might remember he used to play for St Kilda and... Um, went on and had a fantastic career with Central District in SA, but he works for leading teams. But he pointed out Jason Cripps as a good example of a, a really good list manager who's, who's had some fantastic wins. But you don't hear everyone crapping on about Jason Cripps or him talking about, oh, yeah, 
I did this deal or I did that deal. Maybe that's because he had his ego massaged enough by being an AFL player. But I know, yeah, again, reverting to my Essendon hat, I know a lot of people feel the same way as me, that Essendon people, you know, far from what other supporters of other clubs seem to think, which is, oh, you guys are all going about the door Essendon people are sick of hearing about Adrian as well. You know, we just want to land a few decent recruits and have a bit of decent development and make some decent list decisions. All the stuff that all the successful clubs do now without all the accompanying song and dance, which is another reason other club supporters are so sceptical about and cynical about Essendon these days. And I absolutely understand it and I agree with it. For a club that's done sweet FA for 20 years, there's a hell of a lot of publicity about them. So that's sort of where I'm at. Look, I, I think Adrian's Adrian's biggest successes have been with down the list uh, draft picks, the odd trade, you know, the odd rabbit out of the hat. I think we're over the passage of time, his record probably doesn't stand up so well as with those earlier picks. Too many project players, you know, too many too many guys who ended up not working out, I think. And, and basically, you can't occupy that sort of position for 25 years. He's been either recruiting or list manager and sit back and say, OK, well, what are the fruits of your labour over 25 years? This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. And they're not that plentiful. And I think at some stage you've got to go, well, we've changed virtually every other important key position in that club. What gives this guy the right to retain that spot? It's just time. It's time for him to move on. And I think that's pretty much the popular view, not only within the club now, but among the um, considerable Essendon fraternity, out there, the considerably frustrated Essendon fraternity outside the club. Ron, last question before we let you go. Um, we talked about this uh, this afternoon when we uh, had chat about you coming on. So you and I are old enough to remember when the trade period pretty much ran from after the grand final till June 30, and there'd be a bit of a flurry you know, to get a clearance in before June 30 of the following season. And you know, remember the famous in-season trades such as you know Russell Green was one, Robert Walls was another that I can think of, and you can probably think of a lot more that happened in the course of a season, middle of a season. Do you like the fact that the trade period has been sort of shut down to 10 days and pretty much is, is being tailored as a, as a content item as much as a, a mechanism, a very necessary mechanism for players to change teams? Well, it's an interesting um, point, isn't it? I, look, I like, I remember as a kid, you know, with players changing clubs mid-season or whatever, and that could be quite exciting. Um and I must admit, even now, you know, uh, the the trade, whatever, how many days it is, you know, it's always quite exciting saying, oh, geez, he's going to go there or he's going to go there. So philosophically, I mean, you know, fundamentally, I think, gee, that wouldn't be bad. But then, and this gets to your point there about the content factory, I couldn't stand it. I mean, I, I, I you know, if it went on that long and it was covered the way it is now, I'm all, this is already a constant hobby horse of mine, that we have an actual AFL competition and way too much of media airtime, both you know online, radio, TV, is spent talking about stuff that doesn't even talk relate to the competition that's being conducted. We're talking about future draft picks or 
you know, who's a prospect for next year's draft? Or what's this guy going to do when he becomes a free agent in two and a half years? Well, how about we bloody worry about the two and a half years he's going to play for his current club? And it gets ridiculous sometimes. Sometimes it feels like the games are sort of a, a getting in the way of the <laughs> the other stuff, you know. And it, it's because, from a media perspective, it's easier for a lot of people to write about that stuff because um, they don't have to be that cluey about the actual game. And that's a whole other discussion I could talk for hours on end about. But, um, yeah, look, I, I think if it was open slather for six months, you know, you've already got these sort of programs devoted to trades and and the draft and all this sort of stuff that go on through the season. Um, I think it'd be a real danger. You know, it sort of sucks up even more airtime that we, where we should be talking about the actual competition that is going on in front of our noses. And let me add, you know, this was one of the great seasons. I, I, was, I wrote something to this effect after the grand final. This was an outstanding season of footy. You know, we, we've got... 200-odd games a year, a quarter of which are being decided by single-figure margins, the quality of the football has definitely improved again in the last couple of years. So the game itself's in a healthy place. How about we spend a bit more time talking about that rather than what might happen with player A going to Club X in two and a half years? Yeah, very. I, I agree with just about everything you said, Rowan. It was uh, That was... Uh... Very pertinent, I think, and thought-provoking. Um, before we let you go, we allow all our guests to, to give themselves a a, uh, a plug. Where can people find your work? You're long gone from the age, but where can people find your best work now? Um, well, you know, I'll spread myself around a bit these days. But, uh, <laughs> look, I run my own media operation, Footyology. So there's a website, Footyology au, which is mainly football, but we do run other stuff. We do a bit of social commentary and dare I say, a bit of political content at times, which is uh, has a rather polarising effect on the audience, as you'd expect. So footyology.com.au, uh, I'm pretty active on uh, Elon Musk's binfire of a social media site. If you want to grit your teeth and wade into the cesspit that is uh, X, what was formerly Twitter, I'm, I'm pretty active on there. Uh, I write for ESPN, I write for Australian Community Media, and I'm still somehow bobbing up on 3AW. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm here, there and everywhere a bit, probably a bit quieter over summer, but uh, feel free to drop in on, on X and uh, say good day or, or abuse me. Uh, I get plenty of either. So uh, all, all welcome. And the very last question, very relevant for you, what are you listening to at the moment? Uh, you're talking about music? Yes. Well, this, uh, I'm glad you asked me that, actually, because um, you probably know I'm a bit of a headbanger. My tastes do tend towards the uh, the heavy. I'm a massive Rage Against the Machine fan. But I've actually, I must be going soft in my old age because I've been listening to a bit of yacht rock lately. And I've actually been um, combing back through the back catalogue of Steely Dan, who, uh, an American duo, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan, who were around in the uh, 70s and 80s. Very, very smooth, slickly produced stuff. Um, oh, people would remember Ricky Don't Lose That Number. That was probably their most popular song. But uh, uh, the classic sort of West Coast of the US sound. Uh, even a bit of Doobie Brothers I've been listening to. So I don't know what's going on there. Occasionally I'll clear out the cobwebs and whack on 
Battle of Los Angeles or the um, Evil Empire or one of those great Rage albums. But uh, yeah, a bit of bit of this and a bit of that. But uh, music never far from the the speakers here. And I'm going to whack some on the moment I stop speaking to you guys. So um, well, yeah, Ron, great to have you on out. board. We'll surely we'll get you on again sometime between now and the start next season. Some other issues we could talk about, but uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, enjoy your steely Dan, enjoy the rest of the trade period. <laughs> Pleasure, same to you guys. That was the great Rowan Connolly, uh, uh, of Footyology and various other outlets as well. Um, a, good, a very, very good man. Now, I, I briefly dropped this name before we uh, before Rowan came on, um, Danny and Andrew. His name is Jack Ginevan. Should Hawthorne look at making a play? Uh, yeah, we touched on uh, Ginevan briefly last at the end, the tail end of last night, uh, in the conversation with Mark McGowan, and then um, our thoughts afterwards. I'm I'm 100 percent all for it. I know, I think Sam Edmund came out on Trade Radio earlier today and said, um, as of this moment, um, there's no uh, movement on uh, Jack Ginevan, but we know how quickly. Um, that can change. I I think with Ginevan, what I really like about him is he has that real unteachable goal now. So he knows how to he knows how to kick a goal. He knows where the sticks are, and you know he comes with a little bit of controversy. He comes with a little bit of um, I guess the baggage or off field stuff that you know this Hawthorne list doesn't have a lot of. So you'd be taking a calculated risk, but I mean I think he's a year removed from kicking forty odd goals as a first or second year player. Um, clearly he didn't get into the team ahead of the plethora of small forwards that the, that the Pies have this year. But uh, I think he'd step in and be, alongside Luke Bruce, our best small forward straight off the bat if we came, if he came to the Hawks. And, um, you know, another Hawthorne supporter to the mix uh, definitely doesn't hurt either. All right. Uh, Dom, good evening. you got a question for us. Good evening, Ash. Good evening, Danny. Uh, great to be here. Just quickly like to say... I haven't been listening to Hawks Insiders for a long time at all. I've only really discovered you guys recently. Um, so, yeah, great to be here. Danny and I have had a few chats over Twitter, uh, a bit of back and forth, but we usually, you know, get along pretty well and agree on uh, many things. Um, but, yeah, great to be here. Uh, in terms of Jack Kinnivan, I, I think it's a big no, a hard pass. I, I just don't think he's he's a good player at all. Uh, I think he based his uh, game off ducking last year, and now that's gone out the window. I see him as a C grader at best. Um, and I just think if we seriously want to win a flag or, you know, build a dynasty, uh, C graders aren't going to cut it. Um, so, yeah, b- big hard pass for Ginevan, but I'm really excited about the potential of acquiring Harley Reid and all this other talk as well. So, yeah, that's just my perspective. Uh Good to hear from me, Dom. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm not sure about Ginevan. I, uh, I, yeah, you know, wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't be breaking the bank or uh, diverting, uh, changing the list manager strategy to try and get him through the draw at the footy club. I, I'm also quite pessimistic now about Harley Reid. I think it's too hard to ask. I think North Melbourne's. Uh, if the deal's going to get done, I think North Melbourne's absolutely in the box seat um, for Harley Reid as well. But. Uh, you never know. The Hawks do rate him. They've been scanning him a long time. Maybe Mark McKenzie and Sam Mitchell, who uh, every time you hear Sam Mitchell say that he's leaving to Mark McKenzie in the team, that's a lie. Sam Mitchell is up to this in his, uh, he's, he's up to his neck in all these machinations. Um, unless they've got a, 
ace up their sleeve somewhere. I can't quite see the Harley Reid um, deal eventuating. And Hawthorne's got its first pick uh, locked away for next year. That'd probably help them, Danny, wouldn't it, if they uh, want to crack at Bailey Smith? Yeah, and that's that's the roadblock. Is any deal for Harley Reid's going to have to include that uh, future first? And uh, if the Hawks also have their uh, feelers out for Bailey Smith, and they think he's a legitimate shot to come, and he's only going to cost them one pick because he's out of contract at the end of next year, maybe they don't want to sell the farm, um, for lack of a better term, uh, by mortgaging that um, that pick for for Harley Reid. Look. Generational talents um, obviously don't come around very often by the, the, the definition of the term. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's a big price to pay because if you look at the teams around the Hawks this year, I know we'll get a lot of internal growth, but I can't see us making a jump of four to five places. So if we don't make a large, large jump, we're looking at a bottom four or five pick again. And giving up two bottom four or five picks in order to to move up to pick one in one draft is is a big price to pay. And I, look, if I'm honest, if I'm if I'm North Melbourne, I, with pick two and three, I don't I don't make a trade for Harley Reid. I keep pick two and three and bring in two more elite talents. Um, you know, they they traded away the first pick of the draft last year. They managed to bring in George Wardlaw and Harry Sheasel. Harry Sheasel uh, looks absolutely incredible. We know what he did as a as the rising star this year and. And George Wardlaw looks like he could be a future captain of that football club. So I'd be looking at doing the same thing again uh, if I'm North Melbourne. And if I'm Hawthorne, I think that that's, that's the model. I mean, obviously, we can't get too, too that early in the same draft. But, but having the, that first pick available next year is, is something that I would value very highly if I'm, uh, if I'm Mark McKenzie. If a team's desperate for Hawthorne's pick, would you uh, at the pick four or five, whatever it is, would you, would you listen? Uh, yeah, it depends on what they have, but I, I mean, I think you are negligent if you don't listen. I think that's um, that's that's the first point I'd make. Um, it would need to blow my socks off uh, in order to move it. But like we see, and I just chatted about before, like if uh, if West Coast come calling for because Daniel Curtin's available and they want our pick, well, hey, if you're willing to, you know, give us a first a first round pick this year and and your top pick for next year, then yeah, I'd probably pull the trigger on that. Um, you know, if for instance, yeah, I, I, it could be anything. Like maybe, maybe the Suns hold on to pick ten and seventeen, uh, and when the Walter bid is out of the way, they come back for another pick in the top five, and they they put you know those two picks plus a future pick on the table. You'd you'd have to consider that, wouldn't you? I, I think I think you've got to be open to everything, and I think the good thing about listening to the way that Mark McKenzie um, speaks, even though it is pretty pretty dry and um, a little uninspiring uh, tone wise. Um, he, he has all the options on the table. He doesn't rule anything out. So uh, that's an exciting thing for me. I definitely agree uh, with you, Prinzi. I think we're still very, very early in the list build in terms of being, um, being at a point where we're still trying to add as much top end talent as we can to our list. And we know that a percentage of that top end talent will uh, not amount to anything. And we know that X amount will, will go on to become good, great footballers. And uh, I'm the same as you. I wouldn't be giving up two and three if I was North. And similarly, I wouldn't be giving up four and our, 
first round of next year, which could be any anything from one to, to six. Because um, really, it's just about trying to get as many top-end young players through the door as possible. Uh, Mick, good evening. Hi, Ash, guys. I, I agree with um, Oisey and Prinzi in terms of you know giving up pick four. You just can't do that. I just think it'd be almost negligent unless it was exceptional. I don't think you're going to see a Frio-type Crowed Hodge for pick one come around again in our lifetime. Um, and I think the other thing in terms of the draft, post that top 10 pick when you've got one, like we had McKenzie last year, then we had Weddle, and Weddle sort of falls into this year's draft because we, we went down in our draft picks this year to get him. So I think you've got to look at a package almost or a period of time over, say, two or three years to see where we come out of at the end of next year's draft across that, that three-year period. Because, you know, when you look at what we've got, we've got a pick in the, you know, what, four, 31 or 32, and then 53. We've got nothing really, no cards to deal with, with Brockman going. It'll be interesting to see what we get back there. I'd prefer Schiltz to Ginevan by a mile. And given that we had a fair crack at him in 2021, um, you know, there was some interest there. He probably boosted his Frio contract, to be perfectly honest, his negotiations back there, being a free agent at the time. Um, you know, I just, it'll be very interesting the next week to see how we roll out, I've got to say. And going into next year, well, we, I think that's really fraught with danger. We'll, we'll obviously get uh, a top 25 pick for Kaczynski, so we can add that to the war chest. <laughs> that goes straight for Chol, doesn't it? That's, is that the theory? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the other, you know, this whole thing about, you know, clubs now start to rank players according to the free agency criteria rather than, I had this discussion in Prinzi today, you know, in terms of clubs are saying that they use the free agent um, criteria for themselves when, in fact, it's got nothing to do with the contract we offer Chol. Because Gold Coast don't want him, and they're not prepared to pay him. Um, and they need space for their academy picks too. Um, and having a conversation last week, I think it was about Chole, you know, the other insight I've had since then is Peter Burge worked with him at Richmond. So that gives me a little bit more faith that they know what they're doing in that pick. I've got to be honest, because I was very hesitant about that one when it was first mooted, I've got to say. Does Peter Birch teach urgency and attacking the ball at all times? Good question, Ash. You know, but again, would he give? Would he say to Mitch that he be? You know, he's not worth the, the time of day. That's the thing. Um, I agree. That's that's my knock on him too. I've got to say, you know, there, there is no physical presence almost for a guy his size. Yeah, we're actually going to park the troll conversation. Tomorrow night's guest uh, is a expert on on all things Richmond and in fact all things Queensland football so we'll, we're going to have to deep dive into Marby Troll uh, on tomorrow night's day three trade wrap so we'll park that one there uh, Mick thanks as always for your contribution um, I want to revisit quickly I know you touched on it last night but I thought it'd be worth a few minutes given it's sort of been dominating discourse today and anybody got a question or a contribution Please chip in. It's the Tom Mitchell story that um, we, we sort of broke yesterday, but had all the airplay today about his comments about his last year at Hawthorne. Um, just want to talk to you, Wesley. How did you how do you feel the story's played out? With the time to think about it, uh, how are you reading it all? Yeah, it's it's 
interesting because you get a lot more um, feedback and commentary from, you know, I was listening to Phil Davis talk about it today, um, but also what we got when we were discussing this yesterday was that one snippet that had been posted and, and since then we've been able to hear a lot more contextually from um, the whole pod um, and, and other bits and pieces um, with regards to what he said and context of what he said. Um, it's probably a good thing uh, Daz isn't in here or he would be absolutely uh, waltzing in off the long run. We know how he feels about it. And, yeah, I think, I mean, I feel similarly to, you know, what I, what I ex- expressed last night, which was it, it's just a shame because there'll be a time and a place for all of, this stuff to be able to come out and him to talk his mind and he's still playing the game and he's still got mates who are playing for Hawthorne. So I think it's a little bit distasteful to be um, talking about individuals that are in that meeting with him to be, you know, bringing up players' names, to be having a crack at Sammy Um, and uh, just... You know, it, it follows a trend of his since he since he left for the last twelve months of um, of uh, laying the boots in a bit, much like he did when he left Sydney and and came to us. And you know, he also spent some time not in the Collingwood team for form reasons this year. So that also lends to the notion that well, maybe each of the coaches are onto something, but. Again, I think what it does is it, it changes his legacy from being a Hawthorne great, having won three what should have been four PCMs, having that incredible Brownlow year, to having been a really good Hawthorne player with a year like nothing we've ever seen. That that year now is his legacy as opposed to his overall Hawthorne contribution on the back of you know, I, I guess the attitude over the last 12 months. But good luck to him. I'm glad he's been able to get the premiership success he's deserved. Um, and I think you just got to take it for what it is and, and move on. Um, Andrew, good evening. Andrew, did you want to say something? You're on mute. I think he could be a, a gremlin, Ash. He could be a gremlin. All right, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll uh, remove him from the speakers then. Um, Danny, if your your perspective changed on Tom Mitchell at all? Uh, look, I, I probably never really gave my perspective last night, um, uh, just with hosting uh, and all that sort of thing. But my, my feeling on my feelings on Tom Mitchell are similar, similarly aligned to um, to Weesey's in that. I think there's a time and a place to open your mouth about situations that happen in club land. And I think while you're still that, – that time is like six years from now when he's retired and he's writing an autobiography. That's when that stuff should come out. That's when it always comes out. I think throwing your, your ex-coaches and your ex-teammates under the bus in the way that, he, that he's done is, is a bit distasteful. Um, and I think you've got to know when to speak and when to shut up. And, um, you know – Mitchell clearly hasn't worked that out because he shot his mouth off when he left Sydney and we, we ate it up as Hawthorne supporters because like, yeah, Tommy Mitchell is going to come here and dominate. And he did. He did for a number of years and he won a Brownlow and he won multiple best and fairest. 
Um, and then, you know, the shoe's on the other foot now. And as Hawthorne supporters, we, we back in our club, um, you know, uh, over everything. And then you hear him say that now that he's moved on to Collingwood and you just go, all right, mate, like, you know, have some, have some class, have some decorum. And I think there's that component of it, which is a little bit off-putting. I think the second thing is, and, and something that I don't think any context was given, uh, um, that context wasn't given, was um, the, the Hawthorne list is in a place where it was uh, being rebuilt from the studs up. And when you are building a new, very young, inexperienced list, you need to set the standards that you expect for the long-term future through your senior players. And if they aren't towing those lines, how can you expect the youngsters to? So what Tom Mitchell referred to was um, a couple of the pieces of the passages of play were, you know, him getting caught out the back of the stoppage, uh, out the front of the stoppage and not the back of the stoppage and not doing his defensive work. Well, that sort of stuff's ingrained in footballers at a high level, um, speaking to a couple of people over the last couple of days from like under 16 level. So if you're not doing that as a Brownlow medal three-time best and fairest winning um, ball winner at AFL level, then, you know, you're going to get reamed out for it. And you've just got to sometimes cop your whack. And maybe maybe it was, you know, Rob Harvey or Sam Mitchell went a bit too far with the criticism or whatever. But if they're setting standards for the next 10 years, they want to be really, really sure that those standards are communicated very, very, very clearly to their young players without beating and breaking their young players. And they probably thought as a senior player... A, Tom Mitchell should have been better and those mistakes, mistakes shouldn't have happened. And B, that he could cop it on the chin and, and be able to take it and understanding the broader context of why those things were singled out. So that's probably my two biggest takeaways is clearly um, Tom Mitchell doesn't know when to shut his mouth and clearly Tom Mitchell isn't big on self-reflection or any form of criticism, constructive or not. It's interesting. I was trying to work out the timelines with between Sam Mitchell and Tom Mitchell. So Sam Mitchell arrives at Hawthorne at the start of 2019. Um, Tom Mitchell breaks his leg. So Mitchell wouldn't have been his line coach at all in 2019. That's the year that James Warple, under Mitchell's tutelage, wins the best and fairest. He would have been his line coach in 2020, but that year is almost an asterisk given that it was in the hub and they were at each other's throats all year, reportedly. It wasn't a very happy place to be at all. 2021, um, Sam Mitchell was the head of development and the box hill coach. So he wouldn't have had a lot to do with Tom Mitchell on a day-to-day basis. And then Mitchell steps in as coach in 2022. So they, and every, so really they, they weren't that closely aligned in their time together at Hawthorne. Also, every decision, as you said, Dan, you put pretty much everything that happened to Hawthorne in 2022 in terms of coaching and player development was geared around for the medium to long term. And that coaches would have been quite happy. Any messages like that delivered to Tom Mitchell in line meetings and team meetings, I think, was actually for the edification of the of uh, of um, Will Day and Warple and uh, Josh Ward and Connor Nash and the other sort of emerging midfielders in the group that year. So I don't think so. It was these are the standards we're going to set, and you're the vehicle by which we're going to set these standards. So I think there's an element of that as well. Yeah, spot on. And I think the I think the other thing is it doesn't take away from uh, anything that Tom Mitchell's achieved at Collingwood this year. And I'm really happy for him that he's that he's finally got what he so desperately wanted in premiership success. You've got to also have a look at the fact that 
um, Tom Mitchell, in this case, was the perfect fit for a, a seasoned, professional Collingwood outfit that had a real need for a player like Tom Mitchell, whereas he was actually, with his role at Hawthorne and his inability to um, be adaptive or flexible in the way that he played, was actually holding back Hawthorne midfielders like Newcomb and Warple and Nash and you know, um, didn't allow day to go inside there. So like you've talked about, Ash, when that long-term lens is is is, is put on uh, from a coaching perspective and Mitchell moves out and you see how much improvement there is in that midfield unit, it goes from being probably the area of most concern to our greatest strength inside 12 months. I think, you know, it, it speaks for itself. And, you know, I, I was really um, baffled by Josh Jenkins' comments um, on trade radio around the Mitchell situation, saying Collingwood clearly got the victory out of that deal. That that deal was absolutely a win-win for every party involved and some of the parties that weren't involved, like Will Day and, and, and James Walpole. So um, I think sometimes we look, the media looks for like a, a winner and a loser from a deal. You can look at this one and just go, okay, everybody's won because everybody has got what they need out of that trade. And it was one of the best things to happen to the Hawthorne footy club. Nothing against Tom Mitchell. It just allowed players to blossom. You did just name the top four in our BNF. And the fact is, it's absolute fact that if Mitchell and O'Meara were still playing in our midfield, that wouldn't be the case. So the 12 months of development into those four players alone is a win. Look, that that's actually not disputable. Um, it also should be said, Tom Mitchell's grand final performance was fantastic. He played really well. Um, I had him the third best player on the ground. I thought he was really influential, and he played it fantastic. Him, Pendlebury, their last quarters were fantastic. Gave Collingwood just what they needed. So, uh, no, I think great win-win. Um, it was a great move for Hawthorne, great move for Tom Mitchell. It's a bit sad that he, he feels that way, you know, he should be enjoying basking the glory of being of achieving the pinnacle of an AFL footballer, which is being a premiership player. It's a bit it's a bit sad that he sort of feels the need to sort of bring all this stuff back up. Um, the other point that uh, should be made: if the AFL, one thing they're working on at the moment is the fixture. If they don't put Hawthorne Collingwood next year on a Friday night, being Mitchell against the Hawks and Finn McGuinness against um, Nick Dacos uh, in the rematch. They're, they're kidding themselves. So this is all good for uh, this is all good for the AFL fixturing. I reckon for sure now that uh, if the AFL was smart, um, like if Hawthorne won a two primetime games next year, they're probably ready for one of those. It surely has to be against Collingwood. It'd be a game that I think a lot of people would uh, pay attention to, and the build-up would be enormous. So if anyone from the AFL fixturing department is listening. Uh, do your job. Let's go to a couple of questions before we finish up. There's been a lot of comments. We'll run through them. Um, from Jaden to you, Weezy. Got to correct you, Weezy. Tom Mitchell was never dropped from the Collingwood team because he played every game. Um, yeah, which is true, but he did get relegated to the role of starting sub. And then a few games after that, he came off. And I mean, there was, you know, running commentary all the way into the finals around is the spot Patrick Lipinski's or his and who's going to be dropped. And it was very much form-related. So, yes, he played every game, I think three in the end, in sub-roles. Erin um, Marie, friend of ours here, who 
Aaron, you've got a standing invitation to come on here anytime you like. Um, if the line coach can't tell you straight in the private meeting, then we're very good point. Um, from Scamasaurus, about James Harms. Ever since the 2018 final, Harms can go and get stuffed. I'm sure that uh, that is um, a view felt help a lot of people. Justin Hawks. John Roth just tweeted, West Coast offering future third for Brockman. Laugh out loud. We drafted pick 46 and we basically have the same pick as a return. So a bit of news there. Um, from Keith, our other great friend, another great friend of ours, Keith. Ponder this for those long memories with Mackay going to Bobbers with compensation pick to North being three. Hawks get pick 19, compo for losing Franklin. AFL doing its best work for the good of the competition. We AFL's pretty much come out and said they see the... Uh, the grounding of these um, of these compensation picks as a form of equalisation, so uh, they have no concerns whatsoever about handing North Melbourne pick number three. Ash, can we just Mackay. can we just point a clarification there though? Um, because Ben Ben Mackay's um, pick three is a band one compensation. Lance Franklin's compensation for Hawthorne was a band one compensation as well. The difference is North Melbourne finished second last and the and the Hawks won the premiership the year that that compensation is handed out. So uh, it's tied to your ladder yeah. position and that's it's why not it's objective. so bad. That's, it's yeah. not objective. But I know you're right, Danny, but the whole, the point that Keith and others are making is that that, that means the system is wrong. There should be some sort of, um, some sort of, I don't know how you do it, but you find an independent group of people who make the assessment. Because any independent assessment would tell you that uh, Ben Mackay ain't worth pick three in the draft. But uh... no, absolutely not. But like as it stands, it's it is it, the, the compensation is is correct. And if the Hawks had a finished third, second last, we would have got pick three for Buddy as well. Now whether the compensation's broken and uh, system's broken and uh, should just be removed altogether, I'm happy to have that conversation because I 100 percent agree it should. Um, it's, but yeah, it's it's got to be better than it used to be because. What uh, Collingwood um, made a grand final, and then a couple of years later had compensation picks because back then it used to be was it you you win less than five games you get a compensation pick at the start of the draft. That was a free for all. Like the Hawks benefited from that as well. We got Ruffy through through that, Um, and I think maybe Xavier Ellis as well, Um, and. And that was a free for all for top picks. Like that's broken. That was really broken. I think it's still broken the way that it is now. I, look, I'd I'd be having I'd be going to the way that most professional sports operate and having no free agent compensation as well. And then really trying to empower clubs to a hold on to their players and b create a culture where players don't want to up and leave. It, we don't have the same issues that some American markets have as much where, you know, you've got glamour cities like Los Angeles and New York and all the free agents want to go there because that's, you know, where they were hey, famous. Kansas um, City these days, buddy. Um, well, I mean, go for it, Ash, no worries. But, um, <laughs> but you know, like it's not as big a prevalent thing here. So I think you just scrap the compensation altogether and tell teams, hold on to your people. Uh, and if you lose them, you know, bad luck. Okay. Um Wok says, I'd be annoyed if we didn't at least offer our second rounder for Ginevan. Problem that Hawthorne does that, they probably they might not get Will McCabe. So um, he is clearly someone they need uh, in the medium to long term. Sorky Hawk, preach standards th- through senior players. Titch is very about Titch. I would suggest there is an opinion that uh, some people think, uh, several people there would agree with. 
Um, Molly Fudd, uh, glad that Rocco is going with my feelings on trading and free agency. Hawks 2010 is a classic. Why running free agency trading into the season is needed. Um, um, one from Mick, uh, another one from Mick. There are two types of wingers, seventh defender, Morrison, and even Amon on a later part of the year, or the forward link role, e.g. Isaac Smith. Sound like he'd be the link forward. That's, that's talking about Massimo D'Ambrosio. Um, L. Roch says, I really hope we have a crack at Ginny. What's fair to give for him? Um, GW, uh, give me some cash bags and a helicopter. Um, and that is about it for the... Oh, and also from Dom. Now on the head there, Danny. Great summary. Wonder if Amira went through something similar. That is a very good question. Um, I'm not sure Amira did. He was really highly rated at the Hawks and, uh, you know, potentially a captain. So not quite sure. I think it's probably telling now, Danny, that in hindsight that uh, Mitchell was never a standing captain when Sicily didn't play. Yeah, I just think it speaks to, like, the high-end calibre of character that somebody like Jago Amira has. Um, you know, obviously, we chatted a little bit about this uh, last night and we see you jump on and beat up on Jago Amira every opportunity he gets. But um, I think the, you know, his A, ability to um, see the writing on the wall and go, okay, yeah, no worries. And then B, have no sort of real hard feelings about it and, and just get on with life. And I think you know, um, that's going to hold him in good stead in life in general. And I think that's why he held positions of leadership within the Hawthorne Footy Club. That will be it, I think, for a uh, very comprehensive uh, night two of the trade period conversation on Hawks Insiders. Tomorrow night we have a guest um, who will be coming on to talk to us about Mubby or Troll. And uh, I think it will be a Jason Kaczynski discussion as well in that and plus a bit of a wider conversation conversation about uh, the trade. This guy has some interesting views on the whole scene as well, which I think will be well worth listening to. So that will be tomorrow night. Join us at the same Hawk time, same Hawk channel, 8.30pm AE, uh, was it now? AEDT uh, for Daylight Savings. Um, thank you everyone for your support of Hawks Insiders. $5 a month, $50 a year for great Hawks content. If a trade goes down tomorrow, we will endeavour to get a written piece up on the Substack with some reaction pretty quickly as well. So keep a look out for that if Hawthorne actually do a deal. Um, we see any more housekeeping before we go? Uh, no, that's about it, Ash. Uh, just usual punctuality from you uh, again. But um, no, no, it's obviously an exciting time of year to have some level of involvement and looking forward to doing it all again tomorrow night. Yeah, look forward to joining you all again tomorrow night on Hawks Insiders. This has been a lot of fun, as always. Trade just brings everybody out. It's wonderful. So many of our regulars jumped on last night and again tonight. It's great. So, therefore, make it a hat-trick tomorrow night. And then even Thursday, uh, we'll be doing this uh, pretty regularly all through till uh, next Wednesday night. So, thanks, everyone. Enjoy the rest of the evening. Enjoy tomorrow. We'll talk to you again on Hawks Insiders uh, tomorrow night. Thanks and good night. This was another Hawks Insiders production. Make sure to subscribe to our Substack for wall-to-wall Hawthorne Woody Club coverage.